Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast, or welcome to if this is your first time being here. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. So the past few weeks have drastically changed the landscape of the world. While I am generally an optimist, it's my belief that the next few weeks will continue to be a challenge for many of us. With that in mind, I've been reflecting on what I could do to help. And the Intentional Performers Podcast has given me an amazing gift, a stronger connection to amazing people, and expanded my wisdom and knowledge. It's my hope that you, the listeners, have received that gift as well. So here's my idea to help others during this time of uncertainty. I'm creating a series of panel discussions with past podcast guests to help others learn, grow, and take action to better their lives and careers during this time. It's my hope that the content that we provide will help provide information to you to help navigate some of your toughest challenges right now in a productive manner. All of these conversations will be recorded via Zoom and then uploaded on YouTube. And then we will also upload the audio here so that these conversations and content can be shared with as many people as possible. We will be doing this over a three-week span, and then we'll go back to our original format and style of the podcast. So thank you all for being here, and hopefully you will find these conversations useful in just an uncertain, unknown, and chaotic time that we are all going through. So here is today's panel. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's panel on obstacle opportunities. I've been so fortunate to chat with over 150 remarkable people on my Intentional Performers podcast, and the people in front of you are certainly no different than that. Um, these people have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership. Uh, they've set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. And the coronavirus has created challenges for so many throughout the world. And it's my hope that these panel discussions will help those in need. Before we fired up and started recording, we talked about how little human interaction each of us are having. So hopefully this will give you a little bit of human contact and I hope for our panelists, it'll give them that as well. And while everyone on this panel has tremendous expertise, I also wanna note that what is going on is truly unprecedented and there may be questions that the panelists don't have answers to that I certainly don't have an answer to and that's completely okay. So we're going to do the best we can with what we've got and this isn't designed to give you all the answers to every question that you have. Instead, it's designed just simply to help you think deeply about how you can handle this challenging time and show up intentionally for the people that you care about. And I think one of the amazing things of doing this and this is our fourth discussion that we've had is everybody that's signed up for this is in service and they all responded within like a day. Uh, some of these people responded within minutes and within a week I had over 40 people say, Hey Brian, I'd love to help. And so Josh, Adrian, Matthew, and Neen, thank you so much for being here. And I'd love to start with Josh, just give an introduction on your background, your story, um, then we'll go to Adrian, then we'll go to Matt, then we'll go to Neen. So Josh, kick us off and uh, and I'll sort of kick it over to you. Thank you, Ryan. So my name is Josh Basil and uh, I grew up in Maryland and um, I loved sports. Sports were my life. And when I was 18 years old, I was on a family vacation at the beach. I was in waist high water, turned my back to the ocean and a wave just picked me up, threw me over my boogie board and slammed me on my head. Um, shattering my fifth cervical vertebra in my neck. That day I became a C4-5 quadriplegic, paralyzed below the shoulders and um, my world was flipped upside down. Um, but I didn't really let my paralysis stop me from kind of 
wheeling after my dreams or living a full life as I could. I decided to um, get back to school, get back in the classroom, um, pursue a, a, an undergraduate degree. And after I did that, I wanted to strengthen my voice to the next level. So I went on and went to law school. And now I am a practicing trial attorney in the Washington DC area. And every day I get a fight for families um, that have been catastrophically injured uh, in uh, personal injury, catastrophic injury, medical malpractice cases. Um, I also started a nonprofit called Determined to Heal. And we help newly injured families transition into life with paralysis and overcome obstacles in, that they everyday face. Uh, we have a website called spinalpedia.com. And my goal was to find a way to mentor families at every level of injury. I was one level above my injury, but I have no movement in my arms. One level above that, I'd be on, on a ventilator. And basically every level of a spinal cord injury branches out to a different body part, meaning a different mentor. So Spinalpedia takes videos and content from the, in, from the internet, and we break it down by physical functionality. Uh, this past week, we uploaded our 15,000th video. So someone comes to the website, puts their functionality in, they've got 100 to 1,000 people within their unique world to give them ideas of what's possible. And so I'm a big believer in um, uh, living with adventurous wheels, and I'd love to talk more about that later, but that's my story. And um, I'm just, it's honored to be, I'm honored to be on this panel today. Thanks so much, Josh. Adrian, why don't you go next? Josh, that's an incredible, uh, incredible story. I knew a little bit about it from reading before we got on here, but that's, that's incredibly inspiring. My name is Adrian Haslett, and I am, uh, coming at you from Boston, Massachusetts, a quiet city these days right now. Um, I have been a ballroom dancer uh, professionally. I went pro uh, shortly after high school um, and performed all over the world for years and years and years and then moved to Boston from Seattle area on the West Coast and moved over to the West Coast to Boston and, um, and still pursued ballroom dancing and then on uh, April 15th of 2013, I took a day off and went on a walk in Boston. I happened to walk past the Boston Marathon. I did not know what a marathon was. I was not a runner. I had no interest in running. I was only in high heels and, and um, ballroom dresses. But I walked past the marathon just at that exact moment where the second blast went off. Um, and I lost my left foot and part of my leg uh, below the knee uh, immediately and lost my career as a ballroom dancer, um, or what I thought was my career as a ballroom dancer. And I somehow, in some way, four days later, uh, talking to Anderson Cooper, was um, determined to dance again. And I told him in an interview, which I didn't even realize at the time would be broadcast anywhere because I was so in a state of shock. Um, but I said I wanted to learn how to dance again and teach him how to dance and then run the Boston Marathon someday as my thank you to the city and beyond of everyone who was uh, coming in and, and showing support for the Boston Strong community. And I later learned to dance again, won my first competition back, and, um, and am now a para-athlete marathoner. Uh, and I'm getting ready to run my third Boston Marathon this April um, and helped create a new division for amputees in that marathon, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I've, I've had to overcome uh, many hurdles along the way uh, to become a runner after and, and to continue to dance. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Adrian. Matt, why don't you go next? 
Um, okay. Well, it's hard to uh, follow those two up. Um, uh, very inspiring stories, and I'm I'm feeling uh, like a a fraud by comparison. Um, those are those are some incredible stories. Uh, my why I'm here and uh, agree with you both. I'm very honored to be here. I saw the bios and I was like, holy cow, this is this is a pretty cool group to be a part of. Um, uh, Brian and I met. Uh, I, I did his podcast. Uh, I'm an actor by trade. Uh, I've, I've created this podcast called 10,000 No's, like no's and quotes uh, for rejections because I've heard a lot of them in my uh, over two decades as an actor. And um, the tagline is really, I'm finding in these last couple of weeks is very appropriate is failure is opportunity. That's what I have on the podcast. That's what I have across the back of these shirts. Um, and it's just kind of always how I've, I've viewed things. I think it's from coaches, you know, playing sports. Uh, I, was, I was an athlete before I was an actor. Uh, so all those lessons, my parents, just the lessons that they've given me. Um, and, and one of the things that, that I've really uh, found myself talking about within the, the coronavirus is just the uncertainty. It's something that actors, whether other people realize it or not, uh, live with on a daily basis. It's it's total uncertainty. We don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. I've got a, a wife and two kids and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. It's feast or famine. In fact, that's where my podcast came from. I was on a show. Uh, the, uh, Trump was elected. I don't really know if that's even what happened, but somehow my storyline was went from me being in the whole season to all of a sudden I was like, you know, twiddling my thumbs and couldn't get arrested and just had this thought of like, okay, if I'm going to be sitting home, I want to create something that I could put out into the world that's going to help encourage people and push them. And when they're stuck, which I've been, and so I've had the pleasure of sitting down with incredible people like, like this group today, it's, it's, it's really been so uh, soul feeding to be able to sit down with people of, you know, in my industry, but also entrepreneurs, cancer survivors, uh, people who have overcome obstacles and figure out how they did it, what their mindset is. And it's just added so much to me and it's led to a book deal. And, and I've got a book by the same name coming out later this year, um, all about resilience, reframing. And, um, you know, I'm just happy to contribute in some way to the conversation, but uh, kind of humbled by these stories. Thanks, Matt. Neen, why don't you go next? I don't even know where to start. I mean, I am so impressed with the people that you see in front of you. Uh, Josh, I loved uh, the rehab adventures that you have created these experiences for people. So they have these memory banks of amazing ways that you've invested your attention. So thank you for what you do in the world. Adrian, I cried when I, wa I saw you on stage. I watched two's TED Talks. So if people haven't seen that, I'm sure Brian will put a link in the show notes, but um, I literally cried when I saw you. And so that was incredibly amazing. Matt, I listened to your podcast with Tyler Mitchell. If people haven't subscribed to 10,000 No's, I'd highly encourage it. And it was an interview you did with the co-founder of, I think it was Imagine Impact, if I remember correctly. And there were so many cool things that I was listening. I tend to listen to podcasts when I get ready. That's probably too much information. Um, but from each of you in just researching you, I found it phenomenal, not to mention Brian and the way he can bring people together. Uh, I don't have, I've only run one marathon. I uh, don't have cool things like these guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, and I certainly don't have a podcast. Uh, however, when I think back, I mean, I grew up in corporate business in Australia. I have, um, gosh, I know I sound like I'm five if you're listening to this audio, but if you're watching the video, you can add a zero. You're getting much closer to my age. But I grew up in corporate business. It's what I knew. It's what I love. And then I created my own company. I relocated from Sydney, Australia to the U.S., and uh, every time I've done things, I've had to reinvent, I've had to re-engage. And I feel incredibly fortunate to live the life that I have. And I guess I haven't thought about things as obstacles. So when Brian reached out to me and said, hey, can you be part of this? I said, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's happening here, I, but happy to be in service. One thing that I've always understood about the body of work that I have, and that is that everybody wants to be seen and heard. And so as an attention expert, I'm obsessed with getting the world to pay attention because I think that when we can help people pay attention and live a very intentional life, I think that it's intention that makes attention valuable, which is why Brian and I, I think, get on so well, that we have these opportunities to take these, I think you said, Matt, failures as opportunities. I think we have the opportunity right now to totally look at if you are watching this and you've been fired or you're watching this and you've been furloughed or maybe you know you have to reinvent yourself, this is an incredible time where we get the opportunity to focus our time and attention and maybe creating that new story in reinventing how you want to show up in the world. And so happy to be on the team, happy to serve in any way I can. So first off, thank you all for giving your time. and. Neen, I figured we'd start with you because, um, um, first of all, everybody goes through obstacles. Um, you know, some are more massive and traumatic and some are micro and small. And one of the reasons I wanted you on this podcast was I'm curious to learn about attention from you as it relates to obstacles. And you had something in your book where you broke down this framework in your book, Attention Pays, with this framework where how we pay attention personally is around thoughtfulness, professionally is around productivity, and globally is around responsibility. And as I think about where we're at right now, there's an element that each of us are thinking about personally. How can we be thoughtful? Whether we want to or not, we are a lot of times in isolation with our, the people that we're closest with, that we're on FaceTime with them or whatever it might be. Professionally, I think some people are frozen right now or they're laid off and they're not sure how to be productive. And then the third piece, uh, globally, I mean, we're all now talking about this is a global deal and how we can all live responsibly. So I would love to get your perspective on, on what we're going through right now and how that relates to our attention personally, professionally, and globally. Mm, sure. Uh, thank you for the shout out for the book. Um, Matt, I think you have a book coming out with Wiley as well, 10,000 No's. And so when I, when I was approached by Wiley to do the project Attention Pays, uh, I was very focused on this model. And the model came about, Brian, because I realized we're often being told to pay attention, but we don't actually know how. Or we think we're paying attention, but we're not. And so when I created the book and the framework around it about how we pay attention personally, professionally, and globally, I remember even Wiley said, like, really? The global thing? Like, really? And it's a small component of the book, but I think now more than ever, we have to be so conscious about that. To me, I think when I work with leaders, and I'm going to use the word leader no matter what, like, I don't care what your business card says, if you have one, I don't care what your title is, I don't care how long you've been doing what you do, I think everyone is a leader. 
We lead in our homes right now. We lead in our church, our temple, our community. So I'm gonna use the word leader right now. When I work with leaders, often what they wanna know is how do I get attention? And they don't always frame it that way, but what they really want is engagement. And that's what we want. We wanna engage with people. Attention is just about connection, right? Isn't that really what it's about? We know when someone's paying attention to us. So the framework is really just some ideas of what I call to build systems of attention. So think of systems as attention of like, um, I call in the book, Graham, we talk about systemized thoughtfulness. So I create systems so that I can be more thoughtful. There's so many ways we can do this in the world right now. Uh, using people's name. It's a no cost attention strategy. And we love the sound of our name. Uh, Dale Carnegie once said, a person's name is the sweetest sound. And right now people are craving connection. Names is an easy way to do it. Systems of thoughtfulness is leveraging technology for good and not evil, like FaceTiming people, using Zoom, being able to use all the technology to see people right now. So being able to have systems in place where you can really be thoughtful. Um, making appointments on your calendar to reach out to people if you look after clients, being able to regularly stay in contact with them. Uh, if you are still fortunate to have your parents on this planet, like call your mum, like set up an appointment. She doesn't need to know that you made an appointment to call her, but set up systems in place so you can be more attentive, you can be more thoughtful. When it comes to professional attention right now, if you're getting anything done, God bless you. Because seriously, I think people's productivity, we have these aspirations of like 70, 80% productive and that's fabulous. But the reality is maybe 20%, maybe 30%. I don't know about anyone on this call, but I am very sure that there's gonna be at least 10 pandemic pounds on this body as a result of this virus. Like I am getting up and looking in my fridge, like there's something magical is gonna appear in there. So if people aren't used to working from home or working remotely, there are some distractions that come with that. And I think we need to be really conscious. And a couple of tips I would say is creating an environment and guidelines with people that you share your life with is really powerful right now. So if you can create an environment that might just be yours for getting work done, um, one of my clients, they're working out of their car because they have little people and they are homeschooling and they also have elderly parents in their house. So they are trying to do anything they can to stay remotely productive. So I think also we need to give ourselves grace in this time, Brian. So a couple of things to do if you wanna be productive right now. Um, and happy to share some articles with you that you can post in the show notes. But how about creating an environment that feels conducive to you? Headphones are like your best friends right now. Uh, if you're gonna do Zoom calls or videos and you have to do those for work, um, create some guidelines with your family and around noise. I put a little post-it note outside my door so that says, hey, I'm recording so people don't just walk into my office. Um, but if you have the luxury of a dedicated space, that's great. If you don't, go find one, go create one. Um, and so the other thing I would suggest to you is please be easy on yourself, but also leverage tools you already have. Out of office is a very useful tool. Create a really cool, fun out of office message and say, hey, right now this is what's happening and here's when I'll get back to you. Create time blocks so that you can get certain things done. And hopefully these are just some ways that will help you feel like you're paying attention. And just give yourself grace. Maybe just think about time in 15 minute increments. What can you do in this 15 minutes that'll help you feel more productive? Brian, does that help? Yeah, and Josh, I wanna get your perspective because you have this event take place and then you mentioned some of the work that you've done since then and it's remarkable from an education standpoint, the nonprofit, the website. Talk about what you've done uh, in light of or in response to the obstacle of, of losing some of 
uh, the ability to, to function from a, from a mobile standpoint? So for me, overcoming obstacles since my injury has come down to perspective. So it's, do I want to feel like I'm going uphill and um, constantly fighting a battle? Or do I want to feel like I'm going downhill? It's kind of the way that I'm approaching different problems or situations or challenges. I find that if I'm able to focus on what I can do rather than dwell on what I cannot, I find it a lot easier. And then also if I approach it in a way where I'm, I have a willingness to try or an excitement to, to, to complete a task, like it, it becomes almost like a small little challenge or an adventure that I look forward to doing. And it gives me something when I do overcome it, like uh, some gratification that I just did something pretty special. Um, you know, physically, I'm very, very limited in what I can do. But mentally, I can come up with game plans. I can use technology to overcome things. I can use my caregivers, their hands, to be able to, 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 tackle, different, uh, to tackle different goals. So it's, um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of things that I face on a daily basis that most people don't have to think about or have to do as simple as brushing my teeth. You know, I physically can't do that, but, but with the right plan in place, I can make it happen. Um, but it's, it's kind of cool though, that my, my injury has given me uh, a different way of seeing the world. Um, before I kind of saw it from, from just the able-bodied lens, and now I get to see it from the able-bodied and disability lens. And it, it, I kind of, to tell you the truth, feel like I have a superpower that I get to see the world and experience the world and absorb the world more so than most. Um, and it really does make me appreciate all the little things. And um, I find myself, I love playing, I, I created the three-second rule that I've Kind of like to uh, uh, whenever I have a special moment, I take three seconds to hear it for what it is, three seconds to see it, three seconds to smell, three seconds to to feel or touch, and it's. I feel like I've been holding memories a lot more and appreciating kind of the beauty of, of the world around me, and um, it's you know with this kind of new perspective, it's. I did, I did say it's, it's like a superpower and, you know, every day I get to experience the world now and, you know, I, I'm trying to, I always try to, I'm a forever optimist and I always try to find the good in any situation, any challenge and COVID-19 is a big challenge for people. But for me, you know, like I'm paralyzed and I'm likely going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. Um, and I, I always wish that I could have a a switch that I could flip and go back to, to normal, go back to the way it was. But I feel like COVID-19 is, is going to give so many people a superpower because they're going to now be able to see the world in a way that it's going to change them forever. But we're going to get back to, to the way it was and people are going to see all the sacrifices that they're making now and all the little things that they had before. I think they're going to appreciate it so much more. And I think it's going to be a really, really beautiful thing six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now, or maybe for the rest of their lives that how special everything that we have in our lives and 
it's just, it's really, really beautiful just to be able to live and to be able to breathe and be able to be surrounded by friends, family, work, um, sports, whatever it is that puts a smile on your face. It's like, I, I love life. I just, I do it a little differently now. And um, yeah. So, so Josh, I love the three second idea. So I actually just want to take three seconds right now and for all of us to just sit in silence for three seconds. So Matt, I'm curious, what were you feeling as you heard Josh uh, talk and um, what was coming up for you? Um, well, I, I just I was thinking, you know, right on. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more and not just for myself for everybody that I've sat down with. Um, you know, I have a, I have a friend, I actually reached out to Adrian last night on direct message cause I saw her, a couple of her posts and I was so inspired. And I said, she reminds me of my, uh, my friend, Matt Long, who was a, a guest on my podcast. And he's a guy who was a, a New York city firefighter. Um, he had run the, the uh, New York marathon. He was uh, number four firefighter in the, the whole uh, FDNY qualified for Boston that spring. And then there was a transit strike in New York and he got run over by a bus and he was basically bleeding out on the street. He had to be sawed from the bus. He was, it, it was awful, supposed to die. Came back three years later, ran the New York city marathon, did a uh, Lake Placid Ironman the following year after that. And he says, as every one of my guests says that, he said, it sounds cliche, but I owe everything in my life that I have now to that accident. And it's kind of what I was thinking when Josh was talking. It's like, it's, it's not the event. And I say this all the time. And again, it's cliche, but it's not the event. It's our reaction to the event, whatever it may be, you know, whether it's COVID-19 or it's, uh, you know, me not getting jobs and, you know, having uncertain professional life or or it's being paralyzed when it's when it's in, i'm in the midst of uh you know people who have overcome really uh huge obstacles uh, like this i kind of feel like oh god am i am i worthy to even talk on this topic because you know i haven't been challenged to that point i've had my own version of but i think everybody right now has their own version and you know, Neen said something about writing the book. And I can't remember what it was. You said you were questioning, like, why would my, why would I write a book? Who's going to care about this book? And that was a little bit of what, uh, when Wiley came to me, I said, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I'd love to do it. I'm so passionate about talking about overcoming and encouraging. And I wanted to hide behind my guests because I think they have amazing stories. And they said, no, we, you know, we need to hear your story too. And I had this feeling of like, but my story is not really, it's not really harrowing enough. It, it is. I mean, trust me, it's to, to, for me, it feels harrowing many days, but it's not harrowing enough. And one of the lessons I've learned through the podcast and now going and speaking and then through the book is, and maybe this will resonate for people that are listening, is your story is your story and you've got to own it. And it, you can't compare it to someone else who maybe, you know, there's always somebody out there that suffered more than you in some way. There's always, there's, you can always find that, 
that doesn't negate your own story. So you got to just, all you can do is, is go from your own experience and then try to give back as much as you can. I mean, that's, it's kind of like a little bit of debate in my head in the last couple of days. I've been posting a lot of stuff that's been hopefully encouraging. I'm getting feedback that it is. Um, gotten a little bit of uh, flack from some friends who are like, dude, get off of social media. Like, what are you doing? Um, but the, the, I lost my, totally lost my train of thought. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. Adrian, I see you nodding your head. And I know when we chatted and on the podcast, you didn't sugarcoat any of this. Like these yeah. were terrorists that yeah. you had a, a dream and a vision for where you were going in your life. And these people took it right. Like they, they, they maliciously it, like, let's not make a mistake. Like you want your leg back. And Josh, I love what you said at some point in there. You said, look, if I could flip the switch tomorrow, I'd be able-bodied. Like, I'm not going to like say that I wouldn't want that. But Adrian, I'm curious as, as you are observing other people go through the challenges of being alone or um, being locked in a room or whatever, what's coming up for you during this time? Um, and, and how are you thinking about the obstacles that exist currently and how do, how do you interpret all that? Yeah, it's tough. We were talking when we first hopped on here um, that you said, who's, is, are people living with people? And I was like, solo. It's so quiet in my apartment. My service dog is here, Fred, who's amazing. And I've, you know, he's heard everything. <laughs> I have full discussions with him all the time. Um, uh, but Matthew, I, I love what you said about like owning your story and it's, it's hard, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, and I'm going to misquote here, but, um, but you said, you know, I don't feel like it's harrowing enough or enough. And I think all of us, I mean, I feel that way just to touch on this, um, before, you know, Josh, before answering your question. And I think, you know, even I travel and speak, I forgot to say that before. That's my bread and butter. I travel the globe and speak that's completely come to a halt. So Matthew, I relate. Um, I had all these jobs pulled. I was booked through 2024. It's nothing anymore. Um, I think companies are really, really scared to gather everyone for conventions globally now, which is not terrifying at all. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head where you have to realize that you own your story, right? So going back to speaking, I had a woman, I'll never forget this. I had a woman come up to me and I was on this speaking tour and you know, I'm sure that others that have met people and, and done speaking, you're making eye contact with the crowd. And there was one woman who I could tell was just tearing up during the whole, I gave a 45 minute keynote and she was just sobbing and, and she came up to me after and she was, she had her head down and she had a hat on and, and she said, you know, it's nothing like what you went through, which is a lot, how a lot of people and, and, you know, Josh, I don't know if, if you feel this way or not, but you have people come up to you and say like, it's not, it's not as bad as you like it and i feel like we've all had that like it's not as bad as you which is basically like i'm not enough they're basically telling you this and she said i'm going through stage four cancer i just want to be able to live to see my son's graduation and i was like you're downplaying that because you don't feel like your story is worthy enough everybody's story is worthy enough and um i certainly don't need to say that to make it important but for anyone who's watching who's like me you're alone in an apartment i'm on day I think it's 13 or 14 of self-quarantine before most people I've talked to in a while. Um, and, you know, I've done Skype stuff, but it's tough. And if you feel, or if you're feeling like you're not suffering enough because you're healthy, stop that right now. Like we're all suffering. We're all going through a hard time. And 
Um, I don't have any perfect tips or tricks to get through this. Um, this is all new for everyone. Um, we're all failing gloriously together, and, and that's what we can do most. I think some of the things, to answer your question um, about, you know, how this is hitting me, I think, you know, it's, it's some ways, it's like I'm so sick and stinking tired of trying to get over something. Like, can I just run the marathon? Like, why did it need to be postponed? But at the same time, it's the right, it's the right decision, um, certainly for Boston. But seriously, like, <laughs> I was trained, I was ready, I was like ready to crush it. And um, it's tough, it's hard. Uh, so I think, you know, my little two cents um, that I hope is not too little and is a good impact for people is it's really okay to be really angry that this is happening. Mm -hmm. Like, being angry that Boston is canceled does not mean that I think that we should still host it and, and put people in danger, right? It just means that I work my tail off for this. And it's frustrating that it that I now have five and a half months <laughs> to train again um, or to hold this fitness. Uh, and so it's it's hard. But I think, you know, this feeling of not being alone, there's a feeling that I feel being alone in this apartment with my dog, that I know that every single person on the planet is going through the same thing. And I don't know if, if we've ever had a moment in history well, I'm sure we have with the, the plague and other things that I'm not a history major on. Um, but we've never had a moment like this now that where we've been alive, where we are all going through something, every single person. We have a sing-along here in my uh, neighborhood. I'm in Boston proper. Um, but in this little neighborhood of apartments, we, we literally we were inspired by the people in Italy. I didn't start it. I can't sing. But I participate, and we sing from our balconies at 7 p.m., and it's emailed and texted to us what song we're doing. And it's beautiful, and we're all in it together. And as kumbaya, kumbaya as that sounds, I think it's there's a comfort in that that I feel when I'm alone in an apartment and you're left with your own thoughts and you don't have someone next to you that's saying, turn off the news, this isn't healthy for you. you know. And I think that, that that's hard and it's scary and it's lonely. Um, for me personally, I've gone through so much um, these past six, six and a half years now uh, that it's just one more thing to add it to the list. Yeah. I think Adrian Go makes ahead. a good point. Oh, sorry. Adrian makes a really great point about the positives we're seeing from this. One of my team members, Sue, her little Lily turned seven yesterday, and they obviously wanted to host a party and explaining to children why they can't have their friends over. So what she did was she got all the neighbors to write a sign for Lily so they could take a walk in the neighborhood. Well, not only did they write signs, they put balloons, they drew chalk drawings, they sang. And this watching this really short video of this moment of humanity in one tiny neighborhood is happening across the globe where people are reaching out. And I think that's an easy way for us, Adrian, you make so many great points, just to say, oh my God, you're alone? Let's FaceTime. I FaceTime with like five girlfriends last night. They may have had a lot of wine, but like we wouldn't normally make the time to do that. Yeah, I hear you, honey. Wine.com's doing really well right now. Um, but I was supposed to be in a, on a birthday trip. So this year is a significant birthday and I had created 50 champagne moments for my year. And it's a list of 50 things I wanna do with friends that I love and experiences I want to have in the world. Well, obviously this kind of changes a few things. And one of them was a trip with friends. So we decided to, it was to a wine region. We had the wine delivered to our house. We're going to do a virtual tasting together on Sunday. So what I think we're being forced to do is to reach out to people and say, hey, are you doing okay? Like, how can I help you? What do you need? FaceTiming randomly and just having the opportunity to 
connect more creatively. I write love notes every day and I put them in the mailbox so the mailman or the mail person that might happen to be a man takes them away. And then I, I write love notes for my neighbors and I take them on my walk and I drop them in their mailboxes as well. So I think there's, there's little ways that we can try, but Adrian, there's nothing like that hug. And I think people, oh, people will take like those. I love to cuddle. Like I'm a cuddler. It you know comes back from when I was born. Like I had no hip, and so like I was in body plaster for a couple of years. So I couldn't. No one was allowed to hug me. No one was allowed to touch me for a couple of years. I love a good hug. And this is like the craziest time in my life because now, and I think Matt mentioned it, and Josh alluded to it too. We're going to appreciate those things more than we ever have. The simplicity of giving someone a cuddle to like look them in the eye and hold them even longer. I think we're going to get even better at that. I agree completely. Well, uh, well said. So I wanted to touch on what Matt and Adrian said about, you know, comparing ourselves to other people's challenges. Like, oh my God, you're going through so much more than, than I've gone through. So how can I speak to this? We all have, I think this podcast about being, uh, or, or this panel right here, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're all facing our own unique obstacles. And, you know, COVID-19 more so than ever talks about a united front. We're all in this together. We're all, we're all living unique lives, unique challenges, unique days, unique families, whatever it might be. And if we can it's we're not here to compare because there's always going to be somebody more hurting than us like i, I remember when you know, i've mentored lots and lots of families over the years and early on one of the families I, I mentored was a young boy who was recently paralyzed in a car accident was in the same hospital room that i was at as an inpatient and he ended up having a blood clot that went to his head so he was a c45 quadriplegic and he was also blind from his injuries and it was like, you know, that shook my world. And like, what am I going to complain about? Like, yes, I'm paralyzed, but I can't imagine being paralyzed and blind. But what I'm saying is everybody, there's always going to be somebody that's worse off than you. And that's not what it's about. What it's about is that we can talk about these issues so that we can empower, inspire, and motivate others to overcome obstacles. And whether how big, small they might be, one's mountain for another person is another person's hill. And it's, you know, how do we work together to overcome challenges, to see the world in a better way, and then to kind of tackle our, our every day. Um, so it's just, Matthew, like your challenges, you know, and everything that you're facing every day, it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible what you've done and what you've accomplished and what you continue to do. So it's just, I don't want ever you to think like, you said the word fraud. You, there's no way. That you I, I just mean, in, in, yeah, in comparing your, your stories, you, you guys have such resilience, you know, and, and I would like to think, and if anybody has, has listened to my story, they'll, they know I have resilience as well, but it just, there's, this, there are, you know, it's like the degrees of difficulty in an Olympic dive, you know, you guys are more, and I think like a, you know, a 9.9 .9 degree of difficulty. We've been forced it, into a different world, but we yeah. all live in the same world with many, many differing abilities. But, you know, you know, our abilities, you know, take us into really, really unique adventures and your adventure, other people's adventures. Like you wouldn't have been able to go down the road you've gone down without being resilient. Like it's, it's incredible. Like 
I've seen you on many different shows and I fucking love you as an actor. Oh, thank you. Very, very talented. And, um, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's just fun. How, how do we get there? How do we go? How do we keep moving forward? I think is the question about overcoming obstacles that I would love to have. Moving forward is a positive direction. I, when I was first injured, I remember a friend was telling me, Josh, it's okay to go a little bit backwards, but you just want to go a little bit more forward than where you are. So it's, he said, he talked about being, all right, I want you to go one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. Because life is going to throw curveballs at you. And that, that one step back, that's life. Life's going to continue to happen. Life's going to continue to challenge you, but are you going to be able to move forward? And it's, how are we going to move forward through COVID-19 is a big question that we're trying to figure out. A couple of themes that I'm just hearing from you all that I just want to highlight. Number one, there's this idea that comparison is a thievery of joy. And I think it's a really powerful statement. Uh, Number two, people have scars that you can't see. And I've worked with so many people over the years that don't come to me because they're depressed or they have severe anxiety or they're bipolar. They're coming to me because they want to get better at whatever it is that they do. Yet when we peel back the layers of who they are, like there's some, there's some dark stuff there. There's some traumatic experiences there. And then the last thing I'll say is if we live long enough, we're going to experience some form of trauma, whether it's losing a parent, a sibling, um, getting hurt and injured. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. Um, So I think learning how to create opportunities within obstacles is a human experience. And to Josh's point, COVID-19 is now something that's universal. Like no matter what you're, and certainly there are points of levels of what, people can deal with and some people are getting laid off and some people are actually sick in a hospital. Like there are levels to this. Absolutely. But there's now a baseline that everybody is experiencing. And I think that baseline is really important because it can create empathy and compassion. And and someone used the word grace earlier. So uh, I want to put that out there. Matt, I actually want to get your perspective because what might be scary to you uh, might not be so scary to someone else. And what might not be scary to you might be terrifying to somebody else. And so you go to auditions and put yourself on stage or on screen and put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable in a way that many people are afraid to do. And so talk about what it's like to get rejected over and over and over again in Hollywood uh, and what that feels like. Like what, is, what does that experience feel like and what have you done to handle those obstacles and create opportunities? Um, well, great question. And thank you. Um, one of the things just to give a little levity here is that some of my actor friends and I have been talking and we're, we're laughing at ourselves because we're going like, you know, there's a huge difference because there, there are people, and this is what I'm saying about qualifying everything. If you, you know, I saw an article in the New York times yesterday of, I think it was 13 people died in a, in a hospital in Elmhurst, Queens, and you go, oh my God, that's happening. But right in my immediate future, it feels like, you know, a lot of my life, I'm unemployed and I'm like working on my podcast and I'm doing all of this stuff that I've created that's self-starting because of the constant uncertainty in my life. So one thing I was thinking as, as everybody was talking that maybe comes more naturally to me because I've been forced into it for 20 years is 
I look at this, I, I, you know, I think a, a way to look at this is go, okay, how, and it's not to be insensitive, but how can we look at it as a gift and go, what, a lot of people say they didn't have enough time to do things. Well, now you have a lot of time. Now, granted, you're homeschooling your kids or you're, you know, whatever it is you're doing, but there might be an opportunity here. And, and as an actor, a lot of time, it's like, I'll find myself you know, when I go places, I have a, a book bag full of books a lot of the time, or I'm, I have podcasts lined up because there's a lot of waiting in my life. And so I've learned to never really wait for somebody else to uh, give me the go ahead. I, I have to create my own energy and my own mojo because I don't, I can't rely on the outside world to, to respond. So to to go back to your question about rejection and dealing with that, it's it's a little bit along the same lines. I mean, what one of the biggest challenges, and I think it's what everybody is being thrust into right now, and why my friends and I are laughing. We're like, we've been this is like our life, you know. It's like you go in for a job, and people maybe don't think about this, but there's the the audition itself, right? But then there's this thing: you're going in for a job. That job could be your employment. Sorry, I think my wife is uh, printing up my, my kids' homework back here. Um, the, the, that, that could be employment for three years or four years. So your mind goes down this path of like, oh, I, I want to be positive about this audition, so I want to get this job, so I have to envision that. And then a couple of days later, they're like, nope, you didn't get it. Now, what do you do with all of that stuff? You, you, so it's constantly that. You have to let it go. So it's all about letting go of expectations and letting go of results. And I, and I think it's hard. And, and just to be honest with you, I think Adrian said, it like, I don't, I don't have an answer. I have some strategies that I use, but like, sometimes it's just terrible. Sometimes you don't want to get out of bed because you're like, you put so much into something and it just didn't pan out, you know, but that's life. And then eventually you have to pick yourself up dust yourself off and get back in the game. And that's, that's just what it is, you know? So you're, you're putting yourself out. You're, we're all going to get hurt. And Adrian, I'm curious to get your thoughts because you had this vision and this dream ballroom dancer, this happens. You end up going on dancing with the stars and, and experiencing a completely different type of experience, but talk about having that vision, getting it taken away and then having the courage and, and willingness to, you know, dance in front of millions or whatever dancing with the stars brings. And, and just that having a vision, having it going all in, like the amount of work that you did to become a ballroom dancer, having it taken away and then shifting courses and, and then going all in again, whether it's a marathon or uh, dance with the stars or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, Matthew, I relate so hard, so deep to what you were saying about the rejection. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel it right now that that room of, of ballroom dancing and, and, um, and it's, it's messy. And uh, to put it in perspective, like, this sounds like a joke, but it's not. It's like ballroom dancing is like toddlers and tiaras for adults, just as catty, just as mature. It is really ruthless. And I've heard little things about Hollywood being ruthless. I certainly can't speak um, to that in, in first person, uh, but it's ruthless and it's hard. And I auditioned for a long time and finally made it pro. And then you, then I had this, I've been sort of a, just a slightly competitive, um, mindset, uh, slightly. Um, and 
I really wanted to win worlds in ballroom dancing. That was just how I wanted to be Ginger Rogers since I was five. There's a whole nother story uh, that goes with that. But, um, and so I was headstrong on winning worlds or at least placing top five ish. And I auditioned and auditioned. So after, even after I reached the dream of becoming a ballroom dancer and you're employed full time by a company and you compete uh, throughout the world, I thought, well, that's, that's still not good enough. Right. Which I'm embarrassed to say now, but um, at the time it just wasn't. Um, and so I auditioned, auditioned, and I finally made worlds and I moved across the country to a city that I didn't know a single soul um, in. And, and it was just really, it was really tough. But in all those rejections, you know, you just keep going back and you have to like, you know, like Matthew said, you dust yourself off. And, um, and I eventually made it to third in the world. And then, you know, three days later, I lost my leg. And it was, it was one of the hardest things that I've, I mean, that sort of goes without saying, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. Um, and I thought that that was it. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I remember everything on that sidewalk. The moment it happened, I was awake for all of it. And um, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I definitely thought I would never dance again. But I think, you know, one of the things that really helped me get through, get through, I don't believe in recovered, right? There's no answer. There's no recovered. There's just a new normal. Um, and one of the things that really helped me was hope and having this goal and, and apparently being pretty vocal about it uh, on CNN. Um, and people hold you accountable. They're like, oh, you danced again. You know, when are you running a marathon? And I was like, I thought you'd forget. <laughs> like, I didn't really mean it. I was doped up on all sorts of stuff in the hospital and Anderson's eyes and the whole thing. Um, so I just thought like, there's no way people would remember that. And then I got a running blade and I kept trying and, you know, I found out that I really like having, you know, it should have been apparent to me before, but I really liked having those goals. Um, to achieve and and for me it really helps to have a hard set date for a goal um but even you know even after running my first marathon in 2016 i was training for 2018 i was blowing my goal out of the water i was um third overall second female in the marathon crushing it and it was the tsunami year where it was like 18 degrees and sideways winds and i guess i wandered by a medical tent and i didn't know my own name so i got pulled for hypothermia and i had a dnf and then um, trained again, was training hard, and I was hit by a car um, walking across a crosswalk. And this was last January. Um, it was going 35 miles an hour, just blew a red. I had the right of way. There's no way I could have seen him. And um, and I was in the hospital again for like three and a half months. Um, clearly couldn't do that marathon, and now COVID-19. So it's, I do really well with that. I have a set goal ahead of me, but these goals every single time have just been like, nope, not happening. Nope, not happening. And it's hard to set those again, but I think you just, you just have to keep setting it. And I think part of what has helped me is surrounding yourself with people that believe in you when you don't believe in yourself, because you're not always going to do it. Like, Matthew, you talked about your wife and kids. I'm pretty sure those mornings when you have a hard time getting out of bed, you do it because other people are believing in you, right? And and I think we all do that. Um, my service dog believes in me uh, in the first thing in the morning. <laughs> but but it's you know it's important. And I have a, co a running coach and a running team, and and you know a, a huge running community here in Boston, and my family and friends. Um, and it's, it's important to surround yourself with those people that believe in you, so that when you know in Two Januarys ago, when I was um, 
hit by that car, like the whole team showed up in the hospital and, and really rallied and, and the whole city of Boston was like, we got you, you're going to run again. <laughs> like you need to run again. And, and I think that those goals are, are really, really important to, um, to keep setting for yourself, even if they're outlandish and like you want to win the whole damn marathon. It's important. So Adrian, uh, what you mentioned earlier about someone coming up to you after, you know, you present and saying what I'm going through is not nearly what yeah. you're going through. I've heard that from a lot of other people. Um, and especially a lot of my podcast guests and Nina, I actually want to kick it to you because there is something that you and Adrian have in common. And you mentioned it earlier that you ran a marathon and, and you said, Oh, I only did one. And Adrian jumped right in and said, no. <laughs> one is, what is something there to be very proud of. And as somebody who's run zero and doesn't really have any plans of running them. Yeah. I'll put that out there. There's, there's zero plans uh, to, to run it. But I think, one of the interesting things about marathon runners and Adrian hit on it is there's an element of pain that everyone goes through when they're running a marathon. And I've had ultra marathon runners on here as well. They're even crazier than you people. Um, but, but mean you, Adrian said she had, she wasn't a runner. Right. And then this happens and she's, she decides, all right, now I'm going to, now I'm going to run, which is badass, <laughs> ridiculously badass. But mean, I don't think it's any less badass that you were not a runner and you decided I am going, I think you hired a, a coach as well. And mm -hmm. you went yeah. through the process to, to run a marathon and experience that, that grit and the resilience and the determination. And you set a goal and put it out there in the universe, kind of like Adrian's talking about. So talk about that experience and what went into that. And I just want to really emphasize, I think it's important for people to hear this because look, we're all in awe of Adrian and, and Josh. Like it's awe inspiring and you're incredible and you are superheroes and, you're, and you have superpowers. And Josh, I want to hear more about your superpowers in a minute. But all of us have that inside of us. There's nothing inside of Adrian or Josh that's not inside each of us. And I just think it's an important reminder for us that being in awe of somebody doesn't mean that we can't then create our own masterpiece and whatever that looks like for us is what it looks like. And so, uh, Neen, for you running a marathon, I'm in awe of that, right? And so, <laughs> so tell me about that process, why you did it, what it was like, and, and just uh, would love to hear from you on that. So what people can't see is I do not have a runner's body. Let me be very clear about that. Nothing about this is athletic. I'm 4'10 and a half. Um, I had never run. I never did track at school. I never did any physical activity at school if I could avoid it. I would be the person who for PE or physical education would help like teach kids to read rather than play sports. Didn't do team sport, never run on a treadmill. So people need to understand that nothing about me says runner. I think it's disgustingly unglamorous. Like everything about it, I never understood runners. I didn't understand the mentality. And it was a friend who dared me just to try it. And I thought he was ridiculous. Well, um, the next day I ended up at the running store. I bought all the gear, the magazines, at, because I needed to look cute at least if I was going to at least attempt a mile. I even bought a running watch. I don't even know what I was thinking, Brian, but I thought I'd at least look the part. And there was a, there was a little business card for a coach on the counter when I checked out and I said, oh, is that what people do? They get a running coach and the man said, yeah, of course they do because everyone in running community knows the rules, right? So when I went home, I read a magazine and they said, you should do a 5K and I was like, okay. So I signed up for a 5K. Now people need to understand I had not run a mile. I hadn't even put my shoes on. I hadn't even run around the block. 
But then I reached out to the coach and I was like, oh, by the way, I think I'd like to meet you. So we met and he said, well, tell me about your running career. And I said, oh, um, so I haven't really kind of ran around the block to test my shoes out, but that was it. And I said to him, and by the way, I signed up for a 5K. And he said, when's that? I said, three weeks. So let's get ready. So then about two weeks later, I told him, by the way, I signed up for a marathon. He said, oh, okay, like, you know, in a couple of years, I like, no, no, I'm in a couple of months. So I went from zero to a full marathon in less than five months. That's not bragging. That's just stupid. Like people who are listening to this need to understand that's not a thing. Like I'm not advocating for that. But here's what it does. I had mentioned and alluded to, I didn't have a hip when I was born because I didn't, the bones went there. So I was in body plaster. And so for the first two years of my life, I was in this situation where people couldn't hug me, they couldn't touch me. And I think that sometimes to Adrian's point, that drives you. You just want to prove to yourself you can do something. And I've signed up for a marathon on a dare. It's one of the best and the worst things that I've done because my marathon is what I compare things to. I had a friend who was a runner who said, you are forever going to compare your experience to running a marathon. If you think something's tough, you're going to go, well, hold on a second. I ran a marathon. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't run, I get you, I hear you. But here's the thing. Everyone has their version of a marathon. There is an aspirational goal maybe you've got or there's something in your heart that you've always wanted to achieve. And I believe that public accountability drives private accountability. So when I went on social media and went, guess what? Signed up for a marathon. Well, it was out there in the world. And so I had to honor my commitment. And so for me, I think if you can get an accountability buddy, like mine was my running coach and I had friends who were runners. I still think the whole thing's crazy. And having that level of accountability and being able to show yourself what you're capable of. I put my body through the stupidest, craziest things where I'd get excited when I ran 20 miles. And um, I was fortunate during the marathon. A lot of people will tell you there's this you hit a wall is the language in running, which simply means you run out of gas, like you run out of steam. You like think to yourself, oh my God, I can't do this. I never hit the wall in my marathon. I was happy, I sang, I was slow as anything. However, in one of my training runs, I remember literally getting, I'd done like 18 miles, I'd done this before. And then I sat on the side of the road in a busy freeway and I just cried my eyes out. I was like, that's it, my running career is over. And I think we all have these times where we, there's no way we think we're capable of it. But my husband was like, I'm coming to get you, but you can do this. So what are you going to do tomorrow? And to Adrian's point, and I'm sure Josh has the people he mentioned, caregivers, and Matt, you have your wife and your family. We just need our own crew. We need someone who is going to support us, who we can say, this really sucks. And if you're at home right now and you're thinking this really sucks, it does. And it is really tough, but you need to be able to tell someone that. And you can't compare your journey to someone else's. If you need to stop comparing, get off social media, stop watching the news, like go read a book or go call a friend, but please don't compare your journey to someone else's as you're watching or listening to this because none of us is going through this at the same way. None of us has any insight to what people are experiencing and people are not in their best right now. They're not posting their kindest things. I, I wrote a post last week that was like, be kind or be quiet. Like right now, all we need in the world for it to heal is kindness. And that's what we really need to focus on. So people have their own version of a marathon, Brian, but I think you just need to give people grace because they're all at different places in their journey. Hey, Neen, uh, just hold your wrist up. Uh, <laughs> tell us what it says. 
Okay, so one of the tattoos that I have, I have many. Uh, this one says be amazing and it's spelled A-H-M-A-Z-I-N-G. And that's because every day I want to wake up and go, ah, oh, that's amazing. And so I want us to live this life of curiosity and always finding things that are amazing. So that's what that reminds me every day. So I did that intentionally because you mentioned that when, when I had you on the podcast and you're going to about to feel amazing as Josh uh, shares some of what he does for fun um, and talk about uh, the foundation and some of what you do um, for uh, the athletes that, that you're involved with. So my, through my nonprofit, I try to kind of gather the community together to overcome challenges. And my big thing is living with adventurous wheels. So I put together different events, um, and really kind of events that involve getting out of your wheelchair, really any excuse to get out of your wheelchair. So one of my favorite things to do is we, I go indoor skydiving, um, put a, a suit on, I'll roll up to the door, two people come next to me, throw me headfirst out of my wheelchair and I go into an indoor uh, skydiving chamber. And all of a sudden 120 mile per hour winds are lifting me up and I'm flying. It provides a new perspective. Or if you do sailing, um, able to go on a sailboat. I have a, a boat where I get transferred into, and just with my breath, I can sail it. One straw controls the, the rudder, other straw controls the ropes. Um, I, the, other month, the other year I went, um, my friends wanted to go paintballing. And my girlfriend at the time was like, Josh, are you not going to go? And I was like, no, 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 they're going to go. I, I don't know how to do that. It's like, that's not you, Josh, figure it out. So I ended up rigging up a, like a gun mount on my wheelchair, tied a string to the trigger, to my mask, and I would go around hitting my head backwards shooting and driving with my joystick like a quadriplegic terminator. And you know, like everything I do is a little bit different than what I used to do or how I used to do it, but it's, you know, finding ways, adaptive sports kind of help change the way the world sees paralysis it turns heads but also when i put these events together in the last um, five years my nonprofit has organized over 800 adventures or 800 individual adventures for families and it's you know to tell you the truth i'm usually the most paralyzed person that, do, that does these adventures and it's i think that's a powerful message for a lot of the people that we bring out because they're facing their own challenges. And they look at Josh and they're like, Josh can do it, I can do it too. And then it's like, you know, their next challenge becomes that much easier because they did something that they never thought was possible. So it's like, whether you're able-bodied or have a disability or a different ability, if you can find ways to get outside your comfort zone and accomplish it, it's, it, it it makes that next challenge that much easier. And it actually brings excitement to life. I get so much joy and so much satisfaction by trying new things. And, you know, so often I've, you know, end up failing 10 different times or, and then I find that the one way of doing it and doing it safely. And it's like, you know, Eureka, this is, this is how I want to do it for the rest of my life. But if I wasn't willing to put myself out there, um, whether I was a quadriplegic, a paraplegic, or, you know, on, on two feet. Like, it's just kind of going about everyday life with 
what the world has to offer. I just want to say, like, don't ever stop. Always push yourself, but know yourself. Like, don't push yourself in a way that that you're not you. But if you if you do want to have an adventurous spirit, push that spirit and and find that new fun. I do everything that I do is different, but it's still fun, and um, I think that's just a beautiful way to approach life. Absolutely. I want to ask each of you a question and Josh, this, this was sparked by something you said earlier and I'll start with you and then we'll go maybe to Matt and Neen and end with Adrian. Um, you mentioned having superpowers and feel like you've got a superpower. And I believe that each of us have a superpower. And so I'd love to hear what you think your superpower is, Josh. Um, my superpower is when I put my mind to something, I don't, I don't let myself not reach that goal. And, and I know my superpower is not my power alone. My superpower is being willing to let the beautiful people in my life help me get there. Like I, I, I am, I'm physically paralyzed. I'm limited to what I can do, but knowing that together with my team, I call it team Josh, like I can, I can get to my goals. I can change laws. Um, the, the past years, there was laws that basically were telling me I, I ended up graduating law school, got employed, and then two years afterwards, um, a state program came to me and said, we're sorry, if you want caregiving, you need to quit your job because you make too much money. And they said I had to choose between employment or care. And it was like, wait, what? Like, I worked so hard to get to this point. And then what did I do? I ended up reaching out to my local representatives and we ended up putting forward a bill and got it passed to the Maryland, um, Maryland legislature to change the role for myself and others. Uh, there's, you know, I guess my superpower is seeing a challenge, seeing a barrier and saying, screw you, I'm going to overcome you. I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to find a way around it, underneath of it, over top of it, through it. I don't care. I'm going to get, I'm going to break down this barrier. Um, and you know, whether you're paralyzed or able-bodied, barriers can be overcome. It's just, how do you want to do it? Do you want to do it alone? Do you want to do it with people? Figure that out. And if, as long as you're willing to try, approach it and keep going forward, you're, everybody has a superpower, like you said, we all do. Um, it's just a matter of, are you going to use it? So Matt, I'd love to hear what you think your superpower is. Um, well, I, I've actually done some uh, some kind of some work on myself, uh, just trying to, um, you know, mindset work and everything. And one of the, one of the kind of assignments I had was to go around to people in my life that are, that I've known for a long time from various different, you know, some that I grew up with, some that I went to college with, some that I've acted with family and kind of say, what is it, what is it that you think that, that, I have that you value the most and the, the almost, I think unanimous uh, answer that I got was just that when someone is down or not necessarily down, I have, I think I have an ability to help them see the bright side of things and to see, you know, see themselves in a position of, 
power opportunity versus helplessness. And, you know, I, I, I think I said it earlier, it's a combination of uh, the way my parents raised me, sports, just I think DNA in, in some way, you know, immigrant grandparents coming over here and having to make the best of things. Um, there's just something that's that's in, inherent in me that anything that comes my way, I think I have a, 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 I don't know if I would say it's a superpower, but there's some ability to look at anything as as a gift as opposed to uh, a punishment. Um, and so, and that's kind of what that's, that's really probably why I love the podcast so much because that's what it is. It's really just saying like, Hey, you're stuck. I hear you. It might be really bad right now. I get it. Everybody's going through it. You said it before, you know, everybody's going to get at one point or another, we're all going to pay the piper in some way, shape or form. But you know, what can you do right now? You have, you have two choices. You can roll over and just say it's, it's done, or you can look at it and go, okay, it's not exactly what I wanted, but there's gotta be some little silver lining in there. And I, and I think that's think, you know, something that I think friends and family value that I could, I can, I'll listen to them without judgment and then kind of offer some encouragement. Awesome. Neen, why don't you go next? Uh, I think you alluded to this in the commentary when we started. My friends and clients will tell you it's the energy that I bring. So to me, I see that part of my calling is to encourage everyone. So it doesn't matter if I'm standing on a stage in front of 5,000 people or whether I'm working with an executive one-on-one or if I'm meeting my five-year-old neighbor. It's that ability to make that person feel really, really special. And so that connection opportunity, bringing that energy, that enthusiasm, Uh, like Matt, I think it's part of my DNA. My mom was the social butterfly. And so I saw her role model. We didn't have anything as kids and she raised us as a single mom. And so I saw her always walk into a room and people would light up. And I think that was my role modeling. And so I think for me, I want to be able to honor that and then make everyone feel like they're like the coolest person I've met, the most amazing person that I've met. So that when they leave our interaction, they feel so much better, so much more energized. I think that's my superpower if you asked other people. I agree. Uh, Adrian, how about you? First of all, I love this question. I want to ask everyone this question. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've had to overcome just a couple things in my life. And I, I want to prove, and I think this is similar, you know, to so many, you know, what Josh is saying, Max is saying, Neen saying, um, is... One, one thing that I know to be true without any shadow of a doubt is that when someone tells you something can't be done, it's more of a reflection of their limitations and not yours. And that's been such a theme throughout my life. Um, when you know I was in the hospital after losing my leg, I had a doctor, not my own, come into the room and he was like, yeah, so I've been here for 25 years and I just wanna let you know you'll never dance again because I've never seen an amputee dancer. And I was like, held my finger up. It wasn't this one. And I was like, listen, like, this is not okay. Like, you can't talk to people that way. But I also believed it because, you know, like I didn't know any amputees. I didn't have a prosthetist yet. I couldn't even say the word, um, which is a fancy name for a guy or woman who makes legs. Um, so I think when someone tells you something can't be done, it's a reflection of their limitations. Um, there were plenty of amputee dancers out there. Um, before me. I just didn't know who they were and clearly he didn't either. Um, 
so I think my superpower is just showing people that it can be done. Um, something that I'm most proud of in life, and if there's anything I want to be remembered for, it's helping to create the first uh, para-elite division um, in the Boston Marathon. There, when I ran my first marathon in 2016, I was the slowest. I came in last, dead last of every human in the marathon, which for a recovering perfectionist was perfect. It was much needed in my life. I was doing some work on that. Uh, it was due to lack of training. But, um, but I, after that, I decided, is my competitive self decided, well, I just want to win the whole thing. And so I went to the athletic association and I said, you know, let, like, is there a division for me and for blade runners, blade runners, people that run with the, with the athletic blades? And they said, no, we, we wouldn't have that. And I looked around the country, there isn't a single race, not a mile, not a 5K, not anything for blade runners. Even in the Paralympics, there is not a division for blade runners in the marathon. Um, there's only distances on the track. So I fought and fought and had some really difficult conversations with them. Uh, they're some of my closest friends, but that's what you get to do with friends, is have some really difficult conversations. And in that periodic time, I got faster. So to not give them a reason to not have it. Um, and at the time, my mile was like 16 minutes um, or eight, even 18 minutes uh, to do a mile. And then I lowered it down to a 603. And I went back to them and I said, you've got to be kidding me. Like you, there are definitely other amputees out there that are fast too. Like you've got to have this division. And this year, hopefully in September, um, is the first year that they're having a para division for a chance for us to break the tape in the biggest stage, the biggest marathon in the world. Um, and I think, you know, globally to have that, it was going to be next month would be amazing um, for people just to be able to see what we can do. We're a population of 2.2 million amputees in this country. We're not small. Um, and it, it is a huge opportunity. But after this whole, you know, coronavirus and everything and, and the world wanting to come together and have something to cheer for. And, and um, I think it's, I think it's exciting. So I'm most proud of, and I think my superpower is showing people that, what they think can't be done can be done. That night after the press conference when, when we got to announce that this was a division, you know those videos that we've all seen on YouTube where like the parents give the kids pizza and you open the pizza box and it says like, you're going to Disneyland and everybody cries. Or like, you're getting a puppy and everybody cries. That night, I'm gonna cry. That night I was at social media and emails and stuff after the press conference and and I had these parents of kids who are amputees and, and other amputees write me and say, and like show me these videos of them telling their kids that they could one day win the Boston Marathon. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it showed people that they could do something they thought couldn't be done. And my hope is now that with that, then maybe somebody will see an amputee in line at the grocery store and they'll think, well, I wonder if they're a runner. Not like, oh, I hope they get married one day or I hope they can afford to work or, you know, any of the other crazy prejudices that happen because I think like Josh said so well, you know, another superpower Josh, you said you had was the perspective of like, I have the perspective of, of being praised for my like perfect body as a ballroom dancer. And now I have the perspective of being um, labeled as disabled and, and, and having people look at you in a completely different way than they would in a skimpy little dancing with the stars uniform. So um, I think that I'm rambling now, but that's, that's my, that's my superpowers to be able to show people that it can be done. Adrian, I hope you ramble uh, forever. So, uh, so thank you. And, uh, you know, as you're telling that, I, I've said this in the past couple of days, like I've made a pledge to try to feel alive as often as possible. And I've sort of shifted my focus from 
being happy to just feeling alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the past hour, I've, I've really felt alive. Um, what we're going to end with is I'm going to give each of you the opportunity to ask somebody else on the panel a question that you're curious about um, or share an insight that has come up for you while uh, we've been chatting. And I'm going to give you a little more time to think about what your question is. So, um, you know, for me, this has just been magnificent and uh, I'm just grateful to have each of you in my life. And I think one of my superpowers, I, I forgot who brought it up in the beginning is I think it was Neen like my desire to connect people and the idea that all boats rise with a rising tide um, and the competitive spirit that the four of you have, I think you could hear the fighter in each of you in different ways today. And I love being around fighters and people that are passionate and will do whatever it takes to get what they're hoping to get and what they are passionate about. And Josh, you certainly fit that bill. And so Josh, a question that you have for someone or an insight um, based on what you heard today. All right. Uh, I guess I'll ask Adrian. So with, with your injury um, and when it, when it occurred, what, um, what was your, your, I know physically everything changed, but, mentally how how did you adapt mentally because like for me um, my physical paralysis was one thing but it came with mental paralysis in the sense of you know wanting to give up or in the early days the dark days of of everything changing for you when everything changed what got you through the tough times Uh, I would love to learn more about your journey in the early days. Yeah. Am I echoey still? Or am I good? Okay. Um, Yeah, Josh, that's a great question. And, you know, I talk about that doctor coming in and Anderson coming in and all of these things. I certainly do not want to um, sugarcoat any of it. Um, You know, Brian, you mentioned like, I don't, I don't sugarcoat and I definitely don't. I was, I was really angry that these guys came in. I don't say, um, there are certain verbiages and stuff that I prefer to use. You know, um, it was, it was not just a bombing. It was a terrorist attack. And, you know, for me mentally, those early days, it was really important to say things that were really true. Like I was really angry and I think something, and, and Josh, I'm sure I feel like anyone who's been through anything at all, regardless of the severity of it, knows the stages of grieving. And one of those stages is anger. I was pissed. Like, my leg blown off by a terrorist. Even saying that out loud is just mind-boggling on top of the fact that, like, who has that and gets hit by a car. But it's just mind-boggling. It's, I was angry. I still am angry. And I think that that's valid. So I think naming what it is and what that feeling is was really helpful for me. Um, I also chose one of the things that I just did. I, I grew up in a bookstore, my parents' bookstore. And so I didn't have a TV. I still don't own one. It's where it's supposed to go. Um, and, uh, I watch Netflix and all that all the time. Um, but on my computer, but I, you know, I didn't turn on the TV and knew what happened. I didn't know about the, um, lockdown and them searching for those people. I never say their names. That's another thing that I do to, to help 
Um, but those dark days were really dark. And I think one thing that helped me was being completely oblivious to what happened. I thought those bombs came from the sky for legitimately like three months. I was doing interviews, but I never watched a single one. Um, and so for me, I was in the darkness of my reality without any outside influence of any new information, if that makes sense. So I was really um, protective of my bubble and I got into therapy right away and just addressed all the dark, dark, dark spaces that you go to um, because physically seeing your body be different and be missing a part is something that, and mourning the death of the life that you had before um, there's no other way to say that. You just, you mourn the death of your life. You mourn the death of a body part. Um, and as a woman, especially being uh, trained to stand in front of people and being literally like graded for how you move your body, it was, it was such a dark place. And I think that that's part of the reason why I fell in love with running because you can show up and be sweaty right out of bed. You don't need to shower first. You aren't going to put on makeup, throw snot rockets and spit and like, talk to all these people and, and, and then you get praised and people cheer for you. And, and that's just awesome. And it's so polar opposite of ballroom dancing. Um, so I love it. And I, I think that's why I love it is because it was, it forced me into loving the new body that I have, but I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Those dark days are dark. I mean, I threw, I threw, they would give me clipboards when I was, I had an air tube in and I would just, given the clipboard and I would just toss it against the wall like uh, over and over and over again um it I took on boxing um it was rough it was really rough I don't I don't want to sugarcoat it um but I think you know starting to train and, and do new things has helped tremendously thank you so I know Neen has to jump off um so Neen real quick uh thank you for your time I would love for you before you go, just to let people know where they can follow you. I know you're on Instagram and have a website and I'll just give you a, a plug to your book, Attention Pays. Great read. I loved it. I highlighted information, still remember it. And I don't always remember stuff from books, but real quick, just let people know where they can find you. And then Adrian, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. If you guys want to stick around for like a few more minutes and you can ask a question and, and Matt, the same with you. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But Neen, real quick, just give us a, uh, where you can, where people can find you uh, online. Uh, well, the fortunate thing is there's only one Neen James online. So if you want to see my adventures, definitely Instagram is where to connect. On my website, there's hundreds of things you can download for free. So feel free to go there. Uh, uh, just my ask, I guess, is that um, we all stay connected because this has truly been some of the most powerful 90 minutes that I've experienced. So thank you all for that. Um, <coughs> Thank you, Brian, for setting it up. So with that, I'm going <laughs> to have a teary sign off. But I'm going to say thank you for the stories that you shared. It's been such a privilege, such an honor. So thank you. I'm so sorry I have to go. No worries. Thanks, Neen. And Adrian, um, question for either Matt or Josh. Uh, go take it from here. Uh I know that uh, Matt and I have talked about getting on to his podcast, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to Josh so I can ask Matt questions um, at another time. But um, Josh, I wonder, you know, there are a lot of, I talked about things that can't be done and, um, and perceptions and, and body image. Um, what, are, what do you think is the, is the biggest 
thing that people think they know about you that they don't just based on if someone looks at you and, and, and thinks, Oh, this person is blank. I, I know that I have that happen a lot. What do you, what is that that happens for you? And what, do, what would you want to tell people? Um, you know, I fully recognize that, that the first thing somebody sees when they see me rolling down the street are my wheels and, you know, my wheels are a part of my body now. Like they, they, they are my new legs. They are my ability to access and experience the world around me. So I, I don't try to downplay it in the sense of, I acknowledge that I am paralyzed, that I, um, I get around differently, but I, I think I've, I've accepted that. I want the next thing that people see or hear to be me, the true me. And that's from, for, the, for, for myself, I wanted to go back and to receive a higher education after my injury. I was a teenager um, and, you know, employment was always, I always wanted to have a job to be independent. But, you know, I did recognize that um, my mind and my voice could um, could improve and could get stronger. And it was a, a, my mind was a muscle that I could exercise and my voice is a muscle I could exercise. So I went back and got a degree in communication. And then I went to law school to become an even stronger advocate. And I just, I always want to make sure that what comes out of my mouth um, represents me and represents my ability to speak for others that might have been silenced. Too often persons in the disability community, especially the paralysis community, when they return home from the hospital, the outside world is so, so scary. And they don't venture out. All they do is maybe go to doctor's appointments, physical therapy, and it, it can take you know a year, two, five, 10 years for them to build the confidence to say, I deserve to be a part of this world. And it's just, it's, it's, it, it hurts me to know that so many people um, don't feel that they should be included or that the world has rejected them. And, you know, I see it every day as a, a trial attorney. Um, I, I wheel into the office, well, maybe not now. Um, I am at home right now with COVID-19, but, you know, wheeling through the streets of DC, I don't see enough people that look like me or that are going to work with a significant disability. And it's just, in order to change that narrative, um, I wanted, wanted to do something about it. So one of my big things with my nonprofit now is changing the disability employment narrative. There's all these incredible laws across the country called Medicaid buy-in programs. And Medicaid buy-in programs allow workers with disabilities to buy into Medicaid to be able to keep their caregiving while they're employed. And I'm working on, on improving laws across the country, improving laws in Maryland, and then allowing people to, to understand that there's federal programs called the Ticket to Work program that allow persons with disabilities to get back to work and have benefits counselors to help them navigate all these unique roles. So it's, I guess employment gives me purpose. My wheels are my wheels. Um, I did all the dating websites and uh, when I, you know, one of the questions asked is, what's the first person, what's the first thing someone sees 
and the thing I write is my sexy wheels. And then I want the girl to be able to always say, oh my God, does he have a nice car? Uh, but then I dive into my injury. But it's like, it's the way <laughs> I take control of my story. I take control of the way that the world gets to see me experience Josh. And I guess, um, I guess that's, my wheels are my wheels, but my voice is my voice. My mind is my mind. So I hope that answered your question. Matt, why don't you take us home? Uh, insight or a question you have for Adrian or Josh? Okay. Um, well, I have a feeling I'm going to have everybody on this panel on my podcast. So I'm probably going to ask this again when you are on. But um, it's really for, for either of you. It's almost an eeny, meeny, miny, mo situation here. Um, it, the, the, I guess I'll ask Josh. Um, because you, you had something so, you know, so extreme happen. I, I asked this question to everybody. Um, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene? And what would the advice be? Because I imagine it sounds like there's a split between your life pre-accident and post-accident in some ways. Uh, and your outlook. So I'm just curious about that. Great question. Um, I think defining success. Um, I think the world around us and society puts so much pressure on us to be so competitive, to be better than our peers, to be better than our parents, to be better than, than maybe we are ourselves. And it's just this ongoing pressure of telling us that if we don't um, if we don't get all these items, these materials, these these different degrees, uh, you are not going to be successful. But rather than looking internally and finding what success is to us, what 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 in our lives brings us the most joy, the most happiness, uh, what what gets us up in the morning for us to live this life? Like it's, you know, I, I really found the world around us to be so much more precious. Like I, every day that I get to wake up, you know, and been given a second chance. Cause when I was in the ocean, I was face down in the water, right? I was unable to move, unable to breathe, unable to scream for help. And that, that ocean, the wave could easily wash me out to sea and my life would have been over. Luckily, my friends saw me floating and they turned me over and I had a new chance to a new, a new life. So I guess defining success, I would go back, um, I guess to my high school days, I think I would let the younger days, you know, child development, you know, you just, I just loved the fact that, you know, I had a very lucky childhood where my summers were filled with sports and fun and camp and I had no worries in the world. Like, my worries were that I had to get up and get out the door to make it to tennis camp or that um, I had to make it home by a certain time for dinner. Like those, those were great worries to have as a, as a kid. But I think in high school, when you start having more responsibilities and you're able to really uh, absorb the world around you in a bigger and better way, I would have told myself, um, that you get to define what is important to you. 
and don't let other people tell you, but, but be willing to test out the world around you to figure it out on your own. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, um, for me right now, it's, I just love being surrounded by friends and family. Like my injury, it would have taken me, if I wasn't paralyzed at 18, right? I would have been off, I was in upstate New York in college. I might have gone to California, to New York, somewhere outside of where my family was, right? My injury brought me back home. It brought me every day to my dad, to my mom, to my family. And, you know, it taught me how family's forever. And it, it was a really, really beautiful thing to be able to, you know, every day be able to hang out with my dad at the end of the day of working. And I don't think I would have ever had that if I, I wasn't paralyzed. Like I got my best friend and I got to, to, to continue that relationship and bonding. And it's just, it's, it's weird how tragedy or just the world around you changes everything. But if you let it change it for the better or maybe not for the better, but allow it to change, but absorb the beauty that still comes with it. Um, I, would, I would tell my, my younger self that, that, you know, the world has so much beauty to throw at you and please try to grab it and hold on to it and appreciate it. That's so awesome. I love it. So that's a, it. a beautiful place for us to stop. We definitely went longer than I think anticipated. And I appreciate Matt and, and Josh for you sticking with us. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if Adrian got cut off or she had to run, but I'm just going to give her a plug real quick. Uh, her website's Adrian Hazlitt. And as she mentioned earlier, her first name is spelled with two N's and her last name is spelled with one T. So it's adrianhazlitt.com. And she's also on Instagram at Adrian Hazlitt, the same name. So definitely check out what she's doing. And if you're interested in bringing in the speaker, uh, you can tell Adrian is probably pretty remarkable. And the same thing with Neen and her way with words at neenjames.com, as she mentioned. Uh, Matt, if people want to follow you on, on social media or follow the podcast, let everyone know where they can do that. Okay. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Social media. I'm most active on Instagram these days that my uh, it's at Matty Dell, M A T T Y D E L. And um, the podcast is, you can find the podcast anywhere, you know, Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or at the website, 10,000 nos.com. That's just one zero 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 N O S.com. It's called 10,000 nos. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can give a, a plug to everything, but I'm currently working on uh, a show on Showtime called City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon. We're, uh, we were in the middle of shooting the second season when we got shut down. Hopefully we'll be back sooner than later. And um, I, I should mention if anybody is bored and looking for something to binge that's funny and will take their minds off of this, I did a, a comedy on Netflix last year called Huge in France, which I just absolutely loved and it will just take your mind away from all this uh it's it's uh it's got a heart but it's it's pretty funny as well so um that's that's uh, pretty much it you know awesome and josh let us know about the foundation and and where people can learn more about what you're up to so my nonprofit is determined the number two heal.org and our video mentoring website uh, is spinalpedia.com uh, people can Facebook friend me on 
uh, Josh Basil, that's B as in boy, A, S as in Sam, I-L-E, or on Instagram at josh.basil. And uh, my, my email, I always throw it out there, josh.basil at gmail.com. Love doing speaking, love being able to share stories. So just, um, I just, uh, together we can change the way the world sees all abilities and um, bring, uh, bring a new light, new voice to the world. And uh, this was just so much fun today, Brian. And thank you for all that you do. And thank you for being in my life. And um, this, is, this is a great day, great, great Thursday. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Matt and Josh, you guys are, are lights in my life and Adrian and uh, Nina as well. So appreciate y'all being part of this. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. You can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Fellas, I'll see you soon. Adrian and Nina, wherever you are, love you guys too. So be well, everybody.